Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Now, before we get started, let me tell you something about Bearcat football. These guys don't just tackle opponents, they tackle the laws of physics. I mean, have you ever seen a Bearcat player? They're like human bulldozers in those uniforms. And I'm pretty sure they've got springs in their cleats. Boing. That is the prompt you get when you type into chat GPT. <laughs> Based off the University of Cincinnati Bearcats football team, write me a funny opening monologue for a podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. It is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat sports fan. Well, we're going to have to send it to the polls, Hummer. Do folks want Hummer back on the podcast as a co-host, or do they want ChatGPT? <laughs> send out the poll right. in uh, the Catskiller Social Club Discord, and we will uh, we'll get our results, and you might be out of a job, my friend. I might be. Here, here's one more I did ask. I thought this would be funny. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest college basketball program of all? And the response we get is mirror, mirror on the wall. When it comes to college basketball, it's a tough call. Many teams have greatness. It's plain to see, but it's the fans' passion that lights up the league. So whether it's Duke, Kentucky, or even the Bearcats from Cincinnati, each program shines in its own unique way. The fairest of them all, well, that's for you to say. So ChatGPT refuses to get a takeoff. They just they don't want to stake their claim. They they have no interest in being a podcaster. Basically, they don't. I will give a, I will give some credit though. You know, it did find a way to to tie in the rhyme there in a way a weird way with league in Cincinnati. So I'll give it I'll give it some props there. I wonder if we just recorded an entire episode where we refused to put our. Like we refused to to offer up a definitive opinion or take on anything. We were just like, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Could could happen, I guess. I don't know. You can't tell if it's good or bad. I'll give it, it a shot. Is. It just exists. <laughs> Hummer, we're recording midweek after a weekend of another Bearcats home football game and another Bearcats football game that ended in disappointment. The Cincinnati Bearcats lost 32-29 at the hands of the Baylor Bears, who, as per the SP Plus rankings going into that matchup, were the worst-rated team in the Big 12. I haven't looked this week. I have a guess as to who is the new lowest-rated team in the Big 12, and it right, might rhyme with Shinshinati. I... uh you you recorded a, a monologue actually reacting to the game Hummer and I'm I'm a bad friend I'm a bad podcast host I did not listen to it in full I posted it blind I trusted your instincts from a content perspective I, I'm not even sure there's that much more to talk about but what say you about the Bearcats loss to the Baylor Bears I mean it's another game that was just marred by mistakes and. You know, when you shoot yourself in the foot, you know, that many times, it's just it's just going to come back to haunt you. You know, fumbles galore. The the special teams has just been absolutely abysmal. 
you know, you, you fumble, you fumble the ball and then, then go off to run it and then literally fumble it again into the arms of the opponent. But after that, it almost seems like, and call me, call me off the carpet. If this isn't, if this is just, you know, just maybe one time I'm seeing it and I'm biased, but it seems like when there's a mistake made on the field that all of a sudden we go into ultra conservative mode where I noticed we were starting to fair catch kickoffs at that point. We were fair catching a kickoff that was, you know, being caught at the 15 yard line. I'm like, just go back. Don't be afraid. Go back out there. What do we have to lose at this point? Right? Like, what do we have to lose? We're obviously, well, obviously not winning the league. Obviously in the return game, I think we have a lot of things to lose. We, we lose the ball regularly. It happens. And it's happened multiple times this season. You're Uh, not going to get better if you shy away from the things that are hard, like catching a football. Is that a Chet GPT line? No. <laughs> is that is that a Hummer line or a Chet GPT line? Um, That's the new poll. Was it Hummer or was it Chet GPT? I, I, look, we're seven games into the season. Bearcats are two and five. I think we have a pretty good sense of what the team is at this point. Uh, Emery Jones has, I guess, plateaued is probably the most friendly way to say it. Regressed. I don't. He is who he is. Who the skeptics may have thought he was when he decided to come to UC. He is a limited quarterback. He does have running ability. I think philosophically, his style of play fits Scott Satterfield's uh, ideal offensive system. Well, you know, he can he can move with the ball. He can. He's a running option. He's a running threat. But he's a tremendous liability when it comes to throwing downfield. And it essentially negates that threat from an offensive attack standpoint the team was incredibly successful running the ball we speculated that this baylor matchup was going to be much more favorable than iowa state in that we were facing off against a team that was not physical and if you listen to the split zone duo podcast actually one of their hosts i believe it was alex he he speculated he went he went as far to question their strength and weight training program which is unheard of in college football to actually say, do they do it? Are they strength training? Is, is it good? Everybody claims to have a monster factory. Every, everybody claims to have the toughest, most vicious off-season training regimen. And we, we see the social videos online. This Baylor team was publicly questioned by one of the most successful college football podcasts in the nation in terms of their their physicality and their strength and conditioning program. And the Bearcats generally punished them. Kiner, 129 yards on 15 carries, 8.6 a carry. Miles Montgomery, 103 yards on 10 carries, 10.3 yards a carry with a two touchdown performance as well. Emory Jones offered an additional 18 carries for 56 yards for 3.1 a carry. We moved the ball. 288 yards on the ground. You, Those are the kind of numbers that typically you expect you would associate with. We control the ball. We control the pace of the game. We're imposing our will on the defense. Yet it still produced relatively pedestrian offensive results. They finished with 29 points in this game and, and just struggle to finish drives. It's been the same old thing all season. Um, in terms of who to blame and what does it mean for Scott Satterfield? That that conversation, I think we've almost moved past it in some ways. It's quite simple in my mind. 
team is two and five. They've lo- they have losses to Miami, Ohio, BYU, Baylor at home, and a dismantling at home against Iowa State. No matter what you think about the talent, I think that the fan base is spending too much time now uh, publicly lamenting the lack of talent on the team. When before the season, I did not hear these proclamations of how how empty the cupboard was from a talent perspective. Okay, it was not. This is an this is a team ill equipped to compete in the Big Twelve. It was it was hey, this is a team equipped to finish five hundred in the Big Twelve. This is a team equipped to hit the Vegas over. But now that we're losing, there's a, we're hitting overdrive on blaming the talent. No matter what you think about it, I'm not here to defend it necessarily. I think that the quarterback's tremendously limited. He's a disappointment. He is who the nation thought he was. Scott Satterfield, the coach, is not winning the Bearcats games. He's not making up for that talent. Instead, we're seeing a sloppy team. We're seeing a team prone to mistakes. And it's a disappointing first seven games. That's that's really it. It's an incredibly disappointing first seven games. There's there's a remaining five games on the schedule where we're going to have a chance to surprise people and potentially pull off an upset or two, which can you know turn the narrative around slightly heading into the offseason. But man, there is a lot of work to be done, Hummer. This this doesn't this isn't getting happier. This is not getting more fun to watch. It's a pretty tough watch at this point and and a tough sell. Um, well, I've kind of gotten past that. It's it's a tough watch at the moment. You know, I I, I get that it's frustrating. Uh, I get that we want to put blame and and I get the you know the argument about what you're saying about the talent because I, I honestly have the other view. I, I think that we actually have have some decent talent on this team. And that I think it's being overlooked and it's, it's being the excuse is, is to fall back and say, well, you know, maybe he wasn't prepared or, you know, the whole, if we hit five wins, that's just, that's just what Fick did in his first year. Like, well, cool. Fick, Fick did that off the back of Tommy Tuberville uh, disaster, disaster era. We're, we're coming off of a guy. This is Satterfield who picked up a team and remnants of a team that hasn't has won nine games or more since 2018 you can't tell me that there wasn't talent on this roster somewhere so i'm i'm kind of over that but from from an entertainment well, there was there was a mass exodus like i i really we've done that there, there is mass exodus, i'm over that we conversation also, but There's we were one... also we were also hyped up about his recruiting prowess all the guys coming in all this oh it's great recruiting great recruiter oh he's nil he's gonna he's he's gonna be able to come in here basically and sort of win from day one oh, oh let's get six wins because oh he's able to he's able to play the game he's able to recruit he's able to recruit well it's not panning out whatever we're onto a one game season every week is a new game it's a new season it's it guys the seasons i don't want to say it's done but every week I'm looking at it like it's a new season. Am I seeing improvement from the last season or not? Because so far this 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 whole season up until this point has seen nothing but regression. We haven't seen anything in particular get better. We're desperate for we a clean haven't game. Seen, We're we haven't seen mistakes game. get cleared up. Yeah. And the, the frustrating part is you see games like Oklahoma that if a few things actually go right, we can win that game. That was a winnable game. BYU. Should have been a win is a winnable game. Baylor, winnable game. Iowa State mopped the floor with us. So maybe if yes, we play better, obviously, the team we could have beat. Miami, another game. 
completely winnable. We blew it, right? It's so we're just not seeing improvement, and that's where it's frustrating. So at this point, this is what I said on, on the monologue, and I stick to it. I actually only care about one game on this schedule at this point, and I'm going to go that route. UCF is my national championship this year. I do not want to lose to those fuckers, right? I do not like UCF. I at get home. it at yeah. home, and, and everybody's like, I was asked this. I think it was uh, well, a friend of the pod asked, you know, who, who do I think our rival is? And I said, Central Florida. And he's like, isn't that funny? We go to the Big 12. And our rival is someone who is not in the was was in the is same conference as us. Like that's our biggest well, rival. In, in many ways, that makes sense, right? Because there's more history there, especially recent history. The fan bases hate each other online. We're I kind agree of the same you. fan bases. We just that's, we just we just root for opposite teams. <laughs> that's the must win game on the schedule at this point. I I think what we're what we're realizing though is the the one and no mentality that the the team is putting out there online makes sense that's that's really what it's all about it is about the next game um we it what i just want to see what i'm desperate to see is can we play a football game where we stop shooting ourselves in the fucking dick all right can we one can time. we play a game where we're not turning the ball over on offense where emory jones is disciplined with his passes low risk football we're clearly a run first team let's be that when you play that way we don't want to take risks in the passing passing game we're ta- if it's wide open you make the throw if it's not you pull it down you run the ball you try and live to play another down and on special teams can we clean it up carry is it too much to ask if braden smith is going to make one of the worst punt returns in college football history against BYU can we consider someone else? Can we not act shocked when he does it again? Can Ryan Montgomery get healthy? That guy is the most sure-handed returner. I hope I'm not putting a hex on him. He is historically one of the most sure-handed returners. If he comes back to the field, Don't that's great news for the Bearcats. Coomer, Coomer just, put the hex out. Can we just play a game where we don't turn the ball over? All right. Can we stop can we with the self-inflicted wounds? Because honestly, Hummer, if you look at it, Look, there, the councilman, when Satterfield came in, he would be stunned if the offense was worse under Satterfield. I have to admit, he was he was right. This guy's running concepts are awesome. Kiner and Montgomery have, have holes to run through. There's yards to gain. We can move the ball on the ground. It's not, it's not a sexy or flashy style of football, but getting big chunks, moving down the field, imposing your will on an offense, on a defense, I can get behind that. You know what I can't get behind? You know what I'm sick and tired of watching? Our team make ridiculous errors that cost us the game. Giving up a a block punt against Miami, Ohio. Throwing interceptions. Turning the ball over on special teams. And that's not even getting into the the defensive breakdowns where we're just giving up chunk play after chunk play after chunk play. I don't think that's as much... I don't I don't know that we can control that as much. Our secondary is is porous. It's weak. And also there's a common denominator there where Kerry Coombs is our is our secondary coordinator and we're we're going on 2 years here where the secondary has been generally disappointing under his tutelage. Um he's he's getting the 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 angry pointer is starting to shift toward Kerry Coombs more so than Scott Satterfield. I just more than anything Hummer it's a conspiracy. Oklahoma State it is, playing it is a on the, conspiracy. At night. It is a conspiracy within the coaching staff 
They're doing this intentionally to shift the focus away from Saddy Daddy on Nikari Combs. And I'm completely joking when I say that. <laughs> I do not believe there is a conspiracy theory. I actually do agree with you. Carrie Combs should have a spotlight on him. It, it should be an evaluation of, of, of what to do next. Uh, but, you know, honestly, we've hit that. I'm, I've hit the drum beat about coaches enough this year. I'm done talking about them. Right. I'm done. Right. Yeah. At this well, point, it's, it's a disappointing uh, season. Like at, at this point there, there I, I get it. There's more season left. There's, there's additional games to be played and, you know, you go on the road, you win in Oklahoma state, you defend home turf against UCF. We start building a little bit of momentum. It's, it's not like there aren't winnable games. It's the big 12 schedule. None of these teams are blowing us off the, off the map from a talent standpoint. None of them are particularly scary, but there's also, we've seen no reason to think that we are going to play a clean game, but I'm more desperate than anything just to play a clean game of football. I mean, win or lose, show us good execution. We didn't shoot ourselves in the foot. If the team beats us because the team outperformed us and, and has a better quarterback, has a more reliable secondary, so be it. But let's not give them layups with short field position. Let's not give them defensive or special teams touchdowns. Let's make another team actually beat us for a change. That's what I want against Oklahoma State. That's all. Jared, I'm, I'm I mean, I'm not for. gonna lie. I'm betting. I'm gonna. I'm not betting with my heart this game. I bet with my heart at the end of the Baylor game and came up empty. I I, I actually thought the Bearcats were gonna come back and pull off the comeback win, and I put that money, my money where my mouth is at the end of that one. Obviously, it didn't work out. I'm not betting. I'm not betting with the Bearcats against Oklahoma. Or the 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 mid the other OSU, I'm not I'm not I'm not betting for the Bearcats in that game. I I do not think we're going to win. I think it's going to be a struggle. I think we're going to have a tough time out there. But when we come back with UCF, and I know I'm jumping the gun on the schedule here. It's a totally winnable game, and I hope our to podcast God, is looking past that matchup not for the for all the wrong reasons. He's chalking it up to an L. He's looking past it, and he's gearing up for Central well, Florida coming. Into I got town. something special. I got something special on eleven four. All right, it is mommy and daddy day out, and I really hope this football game is at noon. It's at I hope UCF. I Central know Florida is at three thirty. Uh, it's already been announced. Where does it say that? So it's still TBD on on ESPN. Uh, it's what you get for following ESPN. It was announced at three thirty. Tailgaters celebrated. It was it's the first non-new game in ages. Folks hate the noon game, Hummer. You're you're in the minority there. This no, is a I cause for celebration. Want, it's, it's a totally selfish reason. I wanted the game to be over before date night started. Okay. Well, it's not. It's not. Uh, so my wife's just gonna have to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I don't I really I'm trying to do my best not to beat a dead horse. There's not a the Montgomery. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm loving Miles Montgomery getting out there, showing us the explosiveness. Uh, Corey Kiner, steady as steady as she goes. The guy is is rock solid, hits the holes, runs hard. I'm not I'm not disappointed in our running back room. Our offensive line is opening up holes. There is something to this Scott Satterfield running concept, but man, everything else is leaving a lot to be desired. For the love of God, play a clean game that's it for the love of god prove me wrong and come out where the hell is oklahoma state even located uh still come out of stillwater oklahoma with a victory prove me wrong 
make me eat my words. If the Bearcats win, what was what did I do last time? That was really stupid. Chugged did a did a basically equivalent. We'll do a, a beer pod. You we'll will. Do the, we'll do the power hour during the pod. That'll I, be my punishment. A power hour has to happen before the end of the season. I'm terrified of it. I'm concerned about what it looks like when you drink six beers two, in one hour. You know that's six beers, right? Yeah. One hour. I'm down to two. I'm down to two 12 packs of Cincy Light left. Okay. We got to get this about, done soon. With about four or five maybe left in the fridge. So it's like 28, 29 Cincy Lights left. Honestly, a power hour during a, a live watch power hour during Oklahoma State doesn't sound like the worst idea. At 8 p.m. this weekend, I will be. Hide your kids, hide your wife. I'll be at the uh, drinking all this since you light up in here. I'll be on my way home from the Bronx Zoo, maybe home in time. Well, we could do it in the second half. TBD. I want to talk to you about the basketball team. We have not spoken since Wes Miller had his media day uh, for Big 12 Hoops and officially announced what had been alluded to in the Catskiller Discord, uh, just as it was apparently alluded to in BCJ. That. Oh, I got some thoughts about this. Jamil Reynolds and Aziz Bendigo have been denied eligibility for this coming season. They, at this point in time, will not be a part of the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball team, at least in terms of on-court performance to start the year. The Bearcats are going to appeal. Wes Miller has made it very clear in the media uh, that he is upset with the decision for a variety of reasons. According to Wes Miller, Bandego and Reynolds followed all the rules. They trusted the NCAA in terms of what the process looked like and the reason and, and thinking that they met all of the criteria. Uh, both of these players were, I'll call it victims of coaches departing or being fired from their university, but they bar- are both transferring for the second time and therefore are being punished for the NCAA for transferring and not being allowed to play basketball. Let me let me be rude here for a second and tell you why I'm I'm yawning right now. Mm-hmm. Not not at you. I'm yawning at the way the university handled this and making it so fucking blasé and boring that you you wait till media day to announce this. Where like in West Virginia it happened and all of a sudden they made a big stink about it that they get their attorney general coming on and you know. Uh, Dave Yost is is noticeably silent on the Bearcats uh, predicament well, here. I don't think that's a Bearcat problem. I think that's a Dave Yost no, no, or maybe I'm, not I'm, having the Attorney I'm, I'm, General I'm, I'm, of Ohio in the pocket of the university problem. No, Dave, David Yost is the Ohio Attorney General. Uh, I'm, I know. I'm what I'm saying is that you're alluding to the fact that's a Bearcat issue and that's a Dave Yost issue. Our issue is that John Cunningham keeps things so in the in the athletic department keeps things so close to the vest that they they are literally they make apple jealous of their secret keeping abilities that you could be more strategic in your leaks that maybe there's a time where you can do this where it's actually going to get talked about when uc fans are all together talking about uc sports Maybe there's a way to, to, to rile up a little outrage about it instead of just dropping it on a media day who, frankly, you know who watches media days? Hardcore fans. Your average UC fan, my dad's not watching media days. Like, that's not what he's doing. 
my dad, my dad loves UC basketball, but he's not out there watching West Miller on media day. He might catch it on the six o'clock evening news and I'll get a text that says, or I guess in this case, the 11 o'clock news, I might get a text. Oh, I saw those two guys didn't get a waiver approval. That'll basically be it, but it's not stoking outrage. It's not mobilizing the fan base to hop on Twitter, to go crazy, to attack the NCAA, to, to make it seem like there's actually a reason to do something about it. And I know we do have people who are going to out, go out there and fight the fight. We know that's out there, but I'm just getting irritated with the athletic department's commitment to being overly secretive on everything. Drop this shit. Get it out there in the public when it's time, right? <laughs> shit. Well, fair Locked. point. I, I do think it's probably a mistake to start with criticizing John Cunningham for the NCAA's decision. To he's just he's just my punching waiver. bag. He's just my punching bag because of like the, just how secretive he is. I understand it's not really his fault. So I get what you're saying there. But I'm it, just, it does I appear like look, how they handle it. Look, the Bearcats were out in front of the cameras and public with their disdain for the decision within about seven days of the decision actually happening. I think what we need to focus on, and and we're gonna we're gonna put aside the fact that it's obviously it, it's criminal what the NCAA does and the inconsistency and the fact that they want to puff their chest out and die on this hill of college basketball players not being allowed to play because they transferred two times. Even Dying though coaches on the hill of college basketball players standing right. on the bodies of kids who right. this is like their career, right? Their career is on the line here and you're burying them. Correct. Incredibly important seasons for players to display their talents, to leverage them for professional opportunities across the world. And you're saying, fuck off. You're not allowed to play. And it's pathetic. And it's an easy solution. It's an easy solution. Put an asterisk in there for the trend. Like they did put guidelines. Well, out you're there, seeing it already. It's being proposed now for next season for 24, 25. It's all, it's just incredibly ridiculous. It's, we all know what the right thing is. They know what yeah. the right thing is. If your coach leaves, feel free to leave. Right. I want to put that aside though. Everyone knows how absurd and pathetic and, and uh, criminal it is. There's a blueprint for getting these types of waivers approved. Okay. It's happened. North Carolina got this done for Tez Walker. North Carolina made this messy and loud and embarrassing and shameful for the NCAA. Guess what they weren't? They guess what they didn't worry about. They were not polite. They were not polite to the NCAA. They did not keep it close to the vest, but I will point this out, Hummer. They had the waiver denied. They had the waiver denied on July 5th and they first announced it on August 8th. UNC announces it over a month later. So already you can say UC is already ahead of timeline. Now, some of that is distorted by the fact that the season starts in two weeks. So it's not like they could keep this close to the vest any longer than that, but they are already public. We've already announced that the first uh, go at having them approved has been denied. Most lawyers or NCAA um, geniuses will tell you that the initial, uh, not appeal, the initial request to have a waiver uh, granted is going to be denied by the NCAA. This is par for the course for them. After this, though, the blueprint for, from UNC's standpoint is very interesting. I'm just going to run through the timeline, and then I want you to give your reaction to what they did and what, what it needs to look like for UC. 
On August 9th, the day after they announced his denial, the North Carolina governor writes a letter on Walker's behalf. About three weeks later, on August 31st, they received their second denial, which I think is their first appeal. On September 7th, about a week later, they get their third, third denial, which is their second appeal. And this is essentially the death blow for Walker's eligibility. Four days later, the North Carolina UNC Board of Trustees calls an emergency meeting to discuss their legal options. And around this time, UNC hires a law firm that specializes in NCAA infraction defense. Two plus weeks after that, the North Carolina Attorney General sends a letter to the NCAA president, president describing their denial as, quote, wrong and likely illegal. A little over a week later, October 5th, there's a ruling overturning the decision. There, there are second two, there are three denials. There's a ruling overturning their three denials to that point because of, quote unquote, new evidence. Walker is eligible to play. He goes on to score three touchdowns against the Miami Hurricanes and plays a huge role in that victory. Hummer, the MO, the, the procedure's there. So what do we need to see here moving forward from West Miller, John Cunningham, and UC administration? I'm not an expert, but if if it's I guess if it's me, I don't think we're gonna I don't know. I don't know if John is our is, I don't even, I'm so far out of the loop on Ohio politics. John Kasich's still the governor over there, right? Uh, I don't know. Who's our governor now? Who's your governor? <laughs> it's Who did, DeWine. Mike DeWine. God, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, Mike I'm like, a decade, I think it's been Mike away. DeWine from. <laughs> That's right. I'm a decade behind. John Kasich. <laughs> flash from the past. Uh, so good. Wine with DeWine. That's right. Uh, I don't know if you're going to get DeWine writing letters on behalf of the University of Cincinnati for, for players. I just, Probably I think not. you lawyer, I think you lawyer up right away. That's, the I think move. you. You, you got it up right away and you, you go after him on the first appeal and set precedent because here's what I think the NCAA is afraid of. I think they are afraid to actually get sued for this stuff Correct. because this is the last remaining shred of power that they hold that, that keeps the national collegiate athletic association glued together. If they lose this, the NCAA is just, it's a useless entity and it paves the way for the power five that is basically grouped together create their own tournament for the from a basketball perspective eliminate do their own thing with the play they also they don't even need the NCAA for the playoff at this point like they're not really involved with it for the most part like I think this is terrifying for them to actually go through a lawsuit because what they're doing as you mentioned in whether facetiously or not is criminal you laid out a roadmap for what these players need to do and you wait, and it's and if it's known that the first thing that happens is you get your waiver denied, that's a shame. Like that's just saying, like, no, you go through the process automatically, no matter what. We're gonna deny you. Yeah, the so court that needs to go after that precedent. We've seen it from the Supreme Court of the United States of America that voted unanimously against the NCAA in a previous case. I'm not a lawyer, and therefore I cannot remember the, the name of this case. However, Congress, the Supreme Court of the United States, both of these entities are sympathetic to the student athlete in these cases. So, yes, the move for UC, if you are wanting Aziz Bandago and Jamil Reynolds to play by any means necessary, the only move to me, it involves lawyering the fuck up 
with expensive lawyers and big names. Tom he, Mars. <laughs> Tom Mars. Like him or not, man, he was successful in getting a, in getting John Brandon <laughs> paid. Brandon. I suspect there's better than Mars, but <laughs> but you, hey, if Mars will get the job done, fucking Mars. Um, yeah, I don't hear. But honestly, also, you got to be publicly messy. Hummer. I didn't mention it here. Mac Brown was loud and angry, right? And and contradictory, really critical well. of the NCAA. And he was even even went as far as to contradict his own words in the past. That's how messy it is, and that's how that's how shameful it is. And I, and I think the the press conferences during Big Twelve Media Day. I think that's the start of it. You hear Wes Miller's pointing to the mental health of Reynolds and and Bandago. He's talking about what this is going to do to them and impact their future careers, how it's going to impact their their current mental health. He's pointing to the fact that they've done all the right things and they've checked all the right boxes. I do think UC is is at the very start of of implementing the correct playbook here. I just I, I agree with you and the sentiment and the concern we have about John Cunningham in general that his mo is silence. His mo is politeness and compliance. I think we need to be messier and louder and a little bit more of like the redheaded stepchild in this case. We need to be we need to be push the envelope. Don't be afraid to to burn some relationships, to make some people angry, to lean into discomfort a bit. These guys playing is setting Wes Miller up for a much higher level of success this season. And John Cunningham, you need John, you need Wes Miller to be successful this season. Can you, we, my friend, we... need a fucking victory. Aziz and Jamil are a part of that, and so I just talk about I want you see to leave no stone unturned. I want to I want to I want to attack this compliance angle. So I think we got some really good examples of why it is not always good to take the compliance first route. You know, look at Louisville, Louisville, look at Arizona, Louisville, Louisville. two programs who who moved when the FBI was circling the you know the vultures with the whole Adidas scandal and and basically uh, Louisville goes in and just cleans house right Rick Pitino gone uh, Tom Tom gone all these people gone and their athletic department was in just ruins shambles basically admitting defeat and somehow managed to even lose Scott Satterfield as a coach uh, Arizona. They 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 punished people. They they did that. And Arizona kind of ha- has a little a little gliding down. Kansas though says fuck you. They punish Bill Self in almost zero. Doing it right. It's like just keep keep doing his business as usual. Go win a natty. And there's essentially zero punishment that's going to come down from Kansas whatsoever. And yet we sit here from this high and mighty of all, we're doing it the right way. Why do we care? Like, what is the right way at this point? The right way is kids are making $500,000 a year to play basketball in college. Like this is the, the, the game's been written and the NCAA is so incompetent to write its rules the right way that at this point, test them. What are they going to do? Hey, if you want to be a tier one coach, you need to stop worrying about the rules. You need to stop worrying about doing it the right way. I want to talk about the tiers, Hummer, the athletic that came out with their tiers of, uh, 
of college basketball coaches and building on what you just pointed out. You pointed this out about, about Kansas, about Patino, about Sean Miller. Here's the tier one coaches in college basketball. Tony Bennett of Virginia, Scott Drew, Baylor, Mark Few, Gonzaga, Dan Hurley, UConn, Tom Izzo, Michigan State, Rick Patino, St. John's, Kelvin Sampson, Houston, Bill Self, Kansas. That's tier one. You want to be tier one? You want to be a big time winner? You want to be a perennial Final Four program? You're getting your fucking hands dirty. I'm sorry for the language tonight. I'm revved up. I'm cursing too much. I'm, I'm I apologize to everybody. No more f bombs tonight. Bill Bill Self has a Kroger Plus card, and he goes there to buy nothing but brown paper bags. <laughs> I, so this is this is an article by the Athletic, basically tiering college basketball coaches and trying to essentially group them into rankings that are appropriate based on their track record, based on their success. Um, there's seven tiers in total. Here's tier seven. Dan Engelstadt of Mount St. Mary's. Jared seven. Gerard Ace of Stanford. This is tier seven. This is this is the it's worst. Seven tiers. There's seven tiers. This is the absolute worst tier. Dan Engelstadt of Mount St. Mary's. Gerard Hayes of Stanford. Mike Hopkins of Washington. Ben Johnson of Minnesota, which I remember was an, an incredibly splashy hire. Um, he was the guy who was an assistant at Xavier, I believe. Wayne Tinkle at Oregon State. And this Tinkle. is my favorite. This is my favorite. Kenny Payne, Louisville. <laughs> That's the worst tier. I've read to you the worst tier. I've read to you the best tier. Where do you think Wes Miller landed on the tiers list in college basketball? So he's not in one. He's not in seven. He's in two, three, four, five, or six. I'm gonna put him. I'm gonna put him in tier three. Tier three. Interesting. So why? What? Describe what tier three would mean to you. What do you expect a tier three would represent? So if tier one represents a sort of, I don't want to say cavalier, but uh, uh, I'm gonna do whatever it takes. I'm gonna. I'll slit your throat. And then I'll, 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 I'll insult you while I'm doing it. And then I'll fuck your wife when I'm done. Right. That's, that's what tier one is like, just absolutely ruthless. Tier two is like a Mick Cronin. Damn. Tier two is tier two is Mick Cronin. Damn. Good call. Who else is in tier two? Who's in tier two? Give me a couple <laughs> more names. I got, I got one, right? We're going to stick, we're going to stick with, stick with where I'm at. Stick with the winner. Mick Cronin is a tier two guy. He's a guy who is, he's good coach. He he has the fundamentals down, but he's just not quite willing to break the card the, the golden rule. He's just not that ruthless. Could it also he, be guys who are willing to break the golden rule, but they just can't coach, like a uh, Bruce Pearl or uh, um, who's the other guy I was thinking of? Calipari. <laughs> Calipari be too as well. Cal- yeah, Rick Calipari Barnes, would be there. Rick Barnes would be did, in there too. Calipari did did was ruthless at one point he's gotten let soft me, in his old age let me ask um, i'm gonna i'm gonna name a few coaches in tier three and i want you to, to double down on whether or not west miller's in tier three or not here's who here are a few coaches in tier three you've got buzz williams at texas a&m you've got fran mccaffrey at iowa leonard hamilton at florida state dennis gates missouri 
And I'll give you one more. Hubert Davis, North Carolina. Is Wes Miller in Tier 3? I mean, knowing that Dennis Gates is in Tier 3 and, and what he's pulled off at Missouri, uh, that immediately puts Wes Miller in Tier 5. Um, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> no, Wes, Miller, actually, Wes Miller checked in at Tier 4, for the record. Wes Miller came in in Tier 4. Well, before you said that, I was I was going to double down that I think he should still be in in Tier 3. Because I have, and this is just because I have blind faith that this is, we're going to see some improvement on the coaching front this year. Regardless of these waivers not coming through, I still think we're going to see improvement on the style of play uh, this year. So that's, that's my hoping. But tier four, that's, I mean, I don't really know what that means in terms of, you know. I mean, some of, like, some of the tier four uh, members of that club include, let's see. So you got Wes Miller, Anthony Grant at Dayton, Penny Hardaway, Memphis. Ew, Penny Port- Hardaway. You don't want to be in the same same tier as Penny Hardaway. Porter Moser at Oklahoma. Um, Mark Pope, BYU. Rodney Terry, Texas. Mike Woodson, Indiana. To me, I think this is a fair assessment. To when I look at this list of of Andy Kennedy, today. Andy Kennedy's in tier four, by the way. Andy Kennedy at UAB. <sighs> When I look at the tier four coaches, would you rather have Andy Kennedy over Wes Miller? History aside, would I rather have Andy Kennedy over Wes Miller? Yeah, no, no, no. That's what what I see here. I I know this is probably a disappointing ranking for Wes Miller, tier four. It doesn't sound that great. He's got a lot more upside than a lot of the coaches on this on this list. His recruiting is at a very high level. When you consider our recent success, the conference we've been in, he's recruiting his ass off. He's winning summers. I would say the best is yet to come from a recruiting standpoint. What needs to happen for Wes Miller to elevate his name and his brand even further? We need to win some games. Okay. We need to beat some teams. We've spent the first two years of his tenure here at Cincinnati not beating anybody. Very few wins that of note, of repute. After that Illinois victory in his first season, there's just not much meat on the bone. So to me, coming into the Big 12 season this year, first year in the Big 12, we've got an uphill battle. We have two very important big men who did not get approved. Makes the challenge that much more daunting. But if Wes Miller can implement and get this team to play greater than the sum of their parts this year, and more as a team, more as a a defensive stalwart, not giving up as many easy layups, protecting the three-point line, and executing offensively in a way that's not over-reliant on isolation basketball, we win some games, and West Miller's instantly in a Tier 3. You make the NCAA tournament and generate some more excitement around the program, West Miller's on his way to Tier 2. To me, 100%. extremely high-end Tier 4 coach probably belongs in Tier 3. He's only waiting on more high-end, Power five success. I'll say it in basketball. He's looking for more major success at the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball program. And once he has that, his rec- his his reputation goes up through the roof. But it's a big that's what we need. That's what that's what's missing on the resume. Can he win big time basketball games at a big time basketball program in a big time basketball conference? I'm not I'm not this is not the predictions episode, so I'm not making a prediction. But what I'm saying, what I'm saying here is, in my worst case scenario, the Bearcats are are 500. 
and how a 500 season turns out to be a success is you have a, a win against Houston. You you do beat Howard, who see, who is looking like they they should be an NCAA tournament team. You you're you are beating Xavier. You're pulling off an upset of Texas or Baylor. But you have a couple upsets in there that that are like you said those big games. Even though you lost half half your games, right? That that to me is how you make this this team turns a 500 season into what would be a a a step forward in terms of of moving. Uh, West Miller to that tier from tier four to tier three and then building on it to get to tier two because he has tremendous upside hundred percent. That's what I I like about hiring young coaches. That's what I like about hiring people who don't have necessarily the, the the resume uh, that you, that you can look back to that. That's so I'm, I'm all, I mean, you know, I love West Miller. I know you do. I know you do, and I I want West Miller to crush it. The, the recruiting has got me very excited. I love the makeup of the team. There's a lot of players that that I just like. I I feel like it's a very likable roster. There's young guys on the team that that I I hope to see grow with the Cincinnati Bearcats program. There's experienced players like Victor Lockin, who I think get a, get a rough time from a public perception standpoint, and still could really come into his own this season. We've seen bigs develop. Um, later in their careers as they get older they get stronger and and as they get stronger they can be more dominant in the post so i i remain very optimistic and hopeful i also think when it comes to expectations for the season our, our friend neil slayton put out one of his you know trolley slash in in inflammatory twitter polls recently you cannot about, call him a troll he is the opposite of a troll come on his come on he knows he's not he's a troll he's not a troll he knows what he's doing. His troll, his polls, his trolls are are uh, meant to get people into an uncomfortable space where they want to simultaneously berate him, or uh, or or use it as a platform to say, "See, this is how bad things are." Blah blah blah. He said, "Assuming waivers do not get approved, what is your expectation for UC basketball?" I think that's. It's there's an important distinguishing. How do I say this? I have, I want to, I want to differentiate between your expectations, like what you expect to happen this season if the waivers don't get approved, but also what your expectations are for Wes Miller in his third season as the head coach of the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball program. Because to me, in your third year, I want you competing for an NCAA tournament berth. That's that was that would be my expectation for Wes Miller in his third season as head basketball coach to be at least a bubble team flirting with the NCAA tournament. Make me watch a selection Sunday where I'm wondering are the Bearcats going to be in a playing game? Are we going to be a 10 seed? Could it be better? Are we a sure thing? Are we an 8-9 seed? That's that's the kind of expectation I would have for a basketball coach at Cincinnati in his third season. Now, without the waivers, what do I expect to happen is a little bit of a different question. But I would also say, and I think this is important, going after both Reynolds and Aziz came with an inherent risk. It was a very high-risk approach by Wes Miller, knowing that the NCAA is and always will be a bullshit organization that will fuck you at every turn. It messed up. 
he don't, took the don't, risk. Don't, don't, don't be too hard on yourself, man. He, he did took take the, the risk. risk. This is what we want, though. We just said a few minutes I know. ago, and, we and, want a guy part- who's who's gonna who's gonna flaunt in the face of compliance a bit, and boom, we got it. But I think you're a hundred percent right that it is still expectations in your third year are to be having a Bearcats fans are us sitting on selection Sunday, wondering if we're going to get called or not from that with the, with the questioner that you're posing with the waivers not coming in. I think the expectation for me is, is that we will be on the bubble conversation. It's a matter of, did we, as you say, squeeze more out of this roster to allow us to actually become a team that makes it on the bubble. I think we're flirting with the edge of, of being on this. We're literally the definition of a bubble team. Cause I think we have, we have talent. We have good players. We have, we're going to have the ability to score. I think we're going to have the ability to rebound, but not as well as we would have. If we get the waivers, if we get the waivers, it's going to be an incredible mixture of what we have on this roster of defense scoring rebounding it's going to be the total package i feel but without it i think we're with those two players with the waivers i actually think we are eight nine we're, we're not a bubble team we're 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 a solid ncaa team with the waivers wow and i think we we can flesh out those expectations and those predictions on a future episode i don't want to go full prediction mode yet yeah, yeah. all all, yeah. all i wanted to point out though was that there's a difference between what I expect to happen now this season if the waivers don't get cleared versus what I was ex- what I would expect of Wes Miller in his third season as head basketball coach, and it's easy to say, "Hey, it's the NCAA's fault. This isn't Wes Miller's fault. This was a potential outcome." Like Bandego and Reynolds not playing was always a potential outcome. This was definitely something that could happen, and I know Wes Miller knew that. Okay, Wes Miller knew. It was a very real possibility that, yep, I landed Reynolds already. I know that he's a high-risk two-time transfer that could potentially not play for us. I want him on the roster. Bandago comes available after that, and he says, I can't resist. This guy's this guy changes the, the entire complexity of our defense if we land him. He's a top-five portal guy. I know I've got Reynolds, and I probably need to get a big who's definitely going to play next season. But, but Bandego's too good, and so I have to go after him. He made that decision. That's a call Wes Miller will live with. It If the waivers don't happen, it makes it a hell of a lot harder to achieve what I would view as an expectation of a Cincinnati Bearcats basketball coach in their third season, which is to be in the NCAA tournament come March 2024. Can, can I say something that our younger, our younger listeners aren't going to like? The difference between UC basketball and UC football is that we have expectations of the playoff every year in basketball. And we can legitimately have those because we have the history behind us to back it up. Go Bearcats. Go Bearcats.